Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Morning, everyone. Um, our, our Bible reading will be taken from Philippians 3 17 to 21. Um, once I'm done, I will end the reading with This is the word of the Lord. Please respond with Thanks be to God. So, Philippians 3 17 to 21. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is in their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Hanatu. And, oops. Good morning, everyone. And um, for those who uh, we haven't seen in a while, uh, welcome again. Nice to see you. Um, and because we don't have a new person, I'll just say, my name is Femi. Nice to meet you. We've not met. All right. But still, um, we, we've been doing, uh, we started a series last week. It's meant to be a mini-series, four-part series. And it's really for two reasons. One, the season that we're in is a political season. And once that starts, you know, um, everyone starts to think, how am I meant to think? How am I meant to participate? I mean, actually, people start even participating. And everything is informed by certain, certain forms of belief. So as Christians, how are we meant to think about politics? Uh, the second reason is because I don't think we've always often thought about it well. And so that's why we're doing this, so that at the end of the um, series, I hope we'll be better equipped in how to engage in this particular season, but in other political seasons that will come. So we've called it God and Country. We said it's a teaching series, not a sermon series, because we'll be doing more teaching than preaching. And in particular, last week and this week are there for setting up foundations. So maybe I should start with this. Um, I don't know. Some of us probably like traveling. How many of us like to travel? If you like traveling, that's good. Now, some would prefer local travel to um, Am I bind you? All right. So we we'll, so we'll pref- we'll, we'll, we'll prefer local travel to international travel. Uh, but, you know, because with local travel, you, I don't know if you're the kind of person that likes to drive. And as you drive, you'll be seeing all the different things. You know, so you, you, you are seeing Earth. You're on Earth, and you're actually seeing the Earth, and you're passing through. And it's fine. And, you know, some people do that here in Nigeria. I know um, my wife isn't here, so I can celebrate this. You know, Ondo State is not a bad state, you know. She owned all the kids, I'm not even sure. But, but, 
But, you know, it has lots of sites there, you know. So if you're that kind of person, wonderful, wonderful, go and do that. I don't like local travel. I don't like roads. I don't like that. I prefer to, um, international travel. Now, if you're like me, um, you like it because you see a lot of different people. You meet new people, you, um, new food, good food, new food. You also um, give me more things. What would you like? What, 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 what's culture? You learn different cultures. You you know interact. All of those wonderful things. However, if you like all of those things, I can tell you something you will not like about international travel. You know what it is? You know what it is this thing. That. <laughs> you don't like that. that. Visa applications, right? I mean, at this stage is the interview. But you know there's a whole lot more that happens before then. The first thing is, you want to travel to this place, you let some people know, and then you have to deal with opinions, different opinions. So until whatever says, ah, you're going to America, <laughs> make sure that in that letter that you write, you mustn't put more than five full stops, because they check all the full stops. <laughs> and if the comma is not put in a certain way, that means you can't really speak English, and so they will not allow you in. And then you get all these agents. You know all these agents, wonderful agents that give you all the different kinds of advice. They've never traveled before. But they know exactly what you need. Then there'll be people that'll say, in your bank account should be 10 million. Some people say, oh, that's too small. It should be 15 million. Where are you going to get all of that money? But you have to get it. So you deal with the opinions. The next thing is the forms. Oh, those forms, dreadful. 28 pages. Asking you, you know, some of you, uh, you know what, when you are filling the form the second time, you are now wondering, what did I say in that, that, that last form? Because some of you, you are just guessing the answers. So long. The online ones, you're like, where will it end? You get to half of it, all of a sudden the internet connectivity goes. When it comes back, everything that you have been filling was not saved. Oh, my God. And then after the forms, you then have the documents. You know documents. I reason people going to apply. They carry it like a suitcase. Plenty of documents. Your bank statements, five bank statements, bank statement of your sponsor, all of you just put everything. Birth certificate, marriage certificate, everything that you have, you put there. And then you see the visa fees. It's like UK is trying to establish the British Empire again through visa fees. You know that. As in the amounts are terrible. You borrow money, you do all of those things. You finally then go for an interview, right? If you're going for the first time particularly, you go for an interview. And then you have to speak to this person that is behind a wall, right? You know why they're behind that wall? Because sometimes they can say ter certain terrible things. And I said, I know there was one in Nigeria. And she was saying, you're lucky you're behind that wall. Just give me my passport back. You're lucky you're behind that wall. So that's why they have it. So you do that, they ask you questions. Even there, I think the American one, everybody can hear what the answer to your question is. No, my, that's my wife, not my sister. I, I've gone before, I've not gone. You know, okay, I'm sorry, please, okay, please. You know, it's so embarrassing. Then after you've done all of those things, then you have to wait. You wait, they told you it was five working days. Then it becomes 10 working days, 15. And then when the thing finally comes, and you get your passport. You know when you want to open it? Your whole life flashes before you. Everything, just like, God, should I? You now open it. Who even wants to go to their country self? I better let them keep their country. What's their self? I didn't, 
Nigeria will be better. <laughs> I don't care. But if you open it and you say, ah, come on, join me, sing hallelujah. Why this whole arduous process? You know what it's trying to point to? There's one thing it's trying to say. You are not a citizen of the country you are trying to visit. Simple. You go through all of those things because you are not a citizen of the country you intend on visiting. Now imagine I got a visa, and Yemi and I on the plane, we meet for the first time. You know, Niger boys, we are connecting. We are both, maybe grew up in Surulere, Ojo Elegba side, you know, in Modoc studio. We are doing our, our things. We know our story, you know, all of that. So we are tracking along. We get to the US, or we get to the UK, and we see three lines of immigration. So one is for EU citizens. Um, and then there's the other one, if you have visa, all right. So I like, ah, yeah, me and I walk in, I start going, okay. Ah, yeah, me, where are you? I see that long line there. Yeah, me now says, I'll see you. Where is he going? He now goes to the party and say, British citizens, Yemi yeah, is going there. I'm like, ah, wait now, this guy was a Niger boy, Surulere. Why is he going there and I'm going this way? And the reason is simple. Yemi has dual citizenship. He has a passport of Nigeria, and for some reason, he also has a passport from the UK. And because of that, Yemi has, is open to privileges that someone, a single citizen like myself, I do not have. For instance, he doesn't have to go through the visa immigration process. There are certain things, school fees, that he, uh, discounts he can get. And so when Paul says that we are citizens of heaven in the text that Hanatu read, he is not saying that we are not citizens of the earth. He is saying that we have a dual citizenship. And the way we think about that dual citizenship is going to affect how we live our lives here on earth in general, but in particular how we also engage in the political sphere. Amen? And so that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at some foundations that help us to think about what it means to be a dual citizen before we start thinking about practically applying these things more and more. Now, I'm going to look at it under three headings. The first is um, a citizen's origin. Second is a citizen's destiny. And the third is a citizen's freedom. A citizen's origin, citizen's destiny, and a citizen's freedom. Let's take the first one, a citizen's origin. Now, very quickly, I want to. Um, make an adjustment to the text there. If you notice in verse 20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Now, a better way of translating that is not the, is the word but should be, should be changed to for. Let me explain why. When the translators put but, you know, but is almost a contrast. It's a, it's a conjunction for a contrast. You know, I'm, uh, he was doing this, but he should have done this, right? And so when you read verse 18 and 19, it's telling you about those whose minds are set on earthly things. They are enemies of the cross. And so the translator says, but our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, don't live like that, but live like this. That makes grammatical sense. However, that's not what Paul was really saying. You have to go to verse 17 to maybe understand a little bit more. So remember in verse 17, he gives two imperatives, like two commands. The two of them were joined together in following my example. And keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Paul is saying, do this thing. Follow my example. 
keep your eyes on, 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 on those who live as we do. Do those things. Now, often if you want to tell somebody to do something, especially when they're adults, what should you do after you told them to do it? You know, as children, you say obey before complain. But with an adult, you do what? You give a reason for it. So Paul says, do these two things. And therefore, but the reason why you're going to do this is this and this and this. So you say for. So join in my example, da 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 da. For, then he gives you a negative reason. That's verse 18 and 19. For there are those who live in another way. So you can connect verse 18 and 19 to 17. But Paul also connects verse 20 to verse 17. So in other words, it shouldn't be, but our citizenship is in heaven, but for our citizenship is in heaven. Live as we do. Follow those who live as we do. For our citizenship is in heaven. So he gives you in 18 and 19 negative reasons why you should obey what he's saying. And then in verse 20, he gives you the positive reason why you should obey what he's commanding. Do we understand that? Or oh, it's too late in the morning? All right, okay, okay. Second service, we'll still move forward. But anyway, Paul is saying, I want you to do these things, and this is a positive reason. Our citizenship is in heaven. That word citizenship in the Greek is called polytuma. Polytuma. And it actually connotes an active constitutional force that regulates the citizens. What do I, citizens, what do I mean by that? If I say, no, I'm not going to use Yemi this time. I'm going to use Olumide, right? If I say Olumide is a husband, what does that mean to you? Well, it means that I've just described something about Olumide. But when you think Olumide is a husband, what's the next thing you think about? That means Olumide has what? A wife. That means he is married and because he's married, it should regulate certain aspects of his life. For all the men that are here that are not married and say, when I get married, my life is not going to change. Irony is a lie. It will change. I'm just telling you now. So if I say Olumide is a husband, you are not just thinking about Olumide. All of a sudden, you are thinking about a relationship somewhere else that he has that is going to regulate Olumide's life. Do we understand that? So when Paul says, for our citizenship, when he says citizenship, the word polytumor there connotes the fact that this person is regulated under a government, uh, that the government where he's a citizen of. Does that make sense? Citizenship is not just that he's a citizen, but he's saying he submits to a particular government that is meant to regulate his life. Now, Paul making that statement, especially to the people he's writing to, they would understand that. And it may cause a bit of a problem for them. Why? Let me explain with this chart. Don't forget that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. Now, where's Philippi located? Now, this region, this is where Greece of today, Turkey, and Italy, all right? This is where we call Greece. But Greece was divided into... Uh, two parts, the upper and the lower. So lower is Achaia, that's where we have the church in Corinth, and then the upper Macedonia, we have Thessalonica there, and Philippi was the capital. On the right is where we used to call Asia Minor, today that's Turkey. On the left is Italy. The capital of Italy then, and the capital of Italy now is what? 
Now, this whole region was the Roman Empire. It was part of the Roman Empire. But, you know, there is Roman, uh, there are Romans and there are Romans, you know, because all creatures are, are equal, but some are more equal than others. So all of the people there were Romans, but some were more Roman than the others. And if you want, the top Romans were in Italy. However, and the official language, the other people spoke other language, but the official language, Latin, was spoken there. However, one of the Caesars, Augustus, the very first one, had designated Philippi, it had given Philippi equal status of all the cities that were in Italy. It had equal status of all the cities that were in Italy. So all the privileges um, that you would have there, they also, their official language in Philippi was actually Latin. In other words, if you stepped into Philippi, you are basically almost stepping into Italy, even though Italy wasn't there. Philippi became a colony of the Roman Empire, the, the, the largest, the, the, more, the special sphere of the Roman Empire. Do we understand that? So in other words, when he says our politiuma, or let me put it another way, Philippi was a politiuma of the Roman Empire in Macedonia. So when Paul is saying our politiuma is in heaven, he's basically saying, you Christians, though you live in Philippi, your polytuma is not from Rome. Your polytuma is from heaven. Paul is making not just a theological statement there. He's making a very political statement as well. But polytuma is in heaven. Basically he's saying, though we live here on earth, we are part of a colony of heaven that is actually represented here on earth. Though we live here on earth, though we are in the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire has all its regulations, first and foremost, we are regulated from the kingdom that is in heaven. Because there are other people, their minds are set on earthly things, and it affects the way they behave. And this is what you see in verse 18 and verse 19. However, our own polytumor Though we are on earth, we are not set on earthly things. We have a kingdom that we belong to that regulates us, and it is from heaven. And maybe I should say this. Though you are in the Federal Republic of Nigeria, your regulation and your citizenship is not first and foremost residing in Aso Rock. Your citizenship, your polytumor, is in heaven. It's a fundamental political statement for every Christian. So I want to ask you, where's your citizenship in? How does this affect your own life? Because your citizenship determines your God, your Savior, and your Lord. What do I mean by that? You see, this Roman Empire when it was first established as an empire, it actually emerged out of chaos. There was a political upheaval that happened. Uh, the first ruler, but not an emperor, Julius Caesar, was murdered. And eventually this led to two factions, Mark Antony, Octavian, Octavian, and the Octavian guy was eventually victorious and he became Caesar Augustus, okay? The first emperor of Rome. Now, but this happened in a time of war. 
How many of us have lived in a time of war before? Okay, not in a time of war, in a place of war. Most of us here have only ever um, uh, um, enjoyed what we call peacetime. We take it for granted. Go and speak to people who lived in the Biafran War. You see, when you're in a time of war, everything that we think as normal is suspended. For instance, the person that you're seeing going out today, you may not see. This is your father that is going out today. You may not see him. You don't know what's going to happen. The food that you are eating today, you know that food is being supplied from many places, right? Eventually, what happens if the enemy comes and they're able to stop the food supply? This is partly what they did with Biafra. They, they barricaded them to stop the food supplies from coming in. It will lead to hunger. At that point, you are in, in times of war, you are thinking only of basic needs. There's no, can we go to the cinema? There's no, can we go, hey, let's meet after lunch. Yeah, after church, let's go for lunch. All of these things happen in peacetime. And war also means that you cannot really have true prosperity. You know, anytime you travel, most of the times when you travel, what do you think about? Do you, um, when you go to a country, you want to see its artifacts. You want to see its museums. You want to see its, um, its wonderful buildings. You want to see its... Um, you want to taste its food, all of those things. How many of us say, I want to meet um, their, their famous scientists, their mathematicians? How many of us say, I want to go to their Air Force base to go and see their Marines? How many of you do that? No. You know why? Because for any nation to exist and to prosper, the first thing you need is peace. There was a guy, I think it was Benjamin Franklin, I'm not sure. Somebody asked, why are we fighting wars to him? And he said, the reason why we are fighting this war is so that our children can study mathematics and science, and so that their children can study arts and humanities. When we test prosperities of nations, we actually just, we see it in the arts. So when you travel, you go to museums, you go to restaurants, you go to Niger, you only go to malls. Right? We go to malls, we go and shop. The things that make a society beautiful, that is how we engage in society. But that could only happen if that society is economically prosperous and that goes on the winds of innovation, of business, of people thinking foundationally. But that could only happen if that country is secure militarily. Do you understand that? So Rome, in the time of Augustus, before he went to the throne, was in that state. It was fighting. It, the people's security was at risk. The prosperity, their normal way of life was at risk. And in a number of years, this empire becomes the greatest empire at that time. Augustus was not just loved because of that. He was adored. Because for them, he had used his political might not just to secure them militarily. He had performed economic and political miracles to make that empire prosperous. So they, worshiped, they loved him. They adored him. In fact, you know what they called him? One of his inscriptions, he wasn't just called Lord, because they'll say, Curious, uh, um, um, Kaiser Curious, that is, Caesar is Lord. But not only that, one of his titles was Savior of the World. Because as far as they were concerned, he saved them. Many of us are going into this election as well, looking for the savior of the world. Because how do we think of our politicians? We want them to perform economic miracles when they get into political office. 
So when all these bad roads, for instance, you know, I don't know how many of you have been stuck in traffic. Whenever you're in traffic, maybe two hours on the Korodu Road, you're hitting the horn. And you'll be swearing, this Ambody, this Ambody, Ambody is the reason for the traffic now. Because you expect that if the politician, I voted you as governor, within three months, you should banish all traffic that is in Lagos. Fashola, Fashola. What have you been doing in, 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 in the office, in your uh, three works, power, and housing. and housing? Every time light goes like this, I don't know what you are saying with Fashola's Fashion name. We expect political miracles. Healthcare, we expect all of a sudden to be very, very healthy. So when we think about these politicians, we think of them as saviors, people that will solve our life problems, solve our education corruption problems, our traffic problems, our roads, all of them to be completed in record time. We are looking for saviors. Because if they come and save us, we will crown them as Lord. Now these politicians, some of the politicians, not all, but some of them, their mind is settled on earthly things, and their God is their... So they want that power that you want to give to them. And they also see your own gullibility. <laughs> see these people, they think that this road can be fixed in three, in three weeks. <laughs> no problem. Um, if you vote for me, I will fix this road in my first two weeks. Eh? Really? <laughs> the other one comes and says, if you vote for me, mark my words, read my lips. In one year, this whole light problem will be a thing of the past. Ah. Eh. Okay, I'll vote for him. Until somebody that says, okay, I can't outdo that. Do you have marital problems? If you vote for me, you will not have any problem in your marriage again. Ah. And you think I'm, you think I'm, I'm, I'm being extreme. There's a particular state in this, in this country. The governor actually appointed a commissioner of happiness. So you know who it is. I'm not saying. Because at the end of the day, the are going to tell us exactly what we want. You want a savior? Don't worry, I can be that savior. And the funny thing with them is that when we were looking for them to save us before we called them Lord, they, once they get into office, they have already become Lord. You can't come near them. Their barbaric guy is so, it starts, it, the barbaric guy itself is like a bulletproof uh, kind of thing, right? All the, the convoys they have around them. And this is the transaction we have been making with the political sphere for a long time because we ourselves have an idolatrous view of politics. We expect saviors to come from Rome. We expect saviors to come from Rock. We expect saviors to come from, is it no, um, Alausa? And Paul is saying, for us Christians, you have to think differently. Why? Because our citizenship is where? Now, let me develop this further in the second point. Second point is a citizen's destiny. You see, because growing up, and I'm sure most of us, politics was always a dirty word. Politicians were always dirty people. As far as anybody that was a politician, you said, that person is already a thief. You know, he's is going for, he's a thief. But we want to vote in the one that is least list of the thieves, you know, that is not going to. That's how we thought about politics. I, I said this in the first teaching, that actually politics is inherently good. In fact, in a previous series, we talked about power. and said power itself is inherently good. The problem 
is that when you seek power for self-gain, it corrupts you. And that's why someone said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. When, power, the, when you seek political office for the sake of empowering just yourself, you do have a problem. There is a thirst for power. But here is something that most of these politicians don't know. You know, many of the Caesars, no, not many. Some of the Caesars did do some good. Like I, I just explained about um, um, Augustus. You know, they built roads, the postal system. Many, they did wonderful things. And I should say that there have been some politicians that have done very well. For instance, you know, uh, uh, we're talking about um, a GC. Um, uh, uh, the closest GC to us is the uh, Jaconde GC. You know, you know why? Because that Jaconde. Well, you know what Jaconde was? Yeah. Jaconde, for many of us here, just, it was, it's a bus stop now, isn't it? Why are you asking who Jaconde was? Well, Adilati Jaconde was a governor of Lagos State between 79 and 83 in our second uh, republic. From what I hear, he was so popular, all right? Now, you know, stories can always be exaggerated. You have to separate fact from fiction. But I'm sure there's some ring to it, that he was so popular that he could walk on the streets, that he used to walk on the streets at night without any security with him. And why was that? Well, it's because part of the things that he did is he significantly improved the housing condition for low-income earners in this state. So you have Jack on this scheme. Apparently, he provided close to about 30,000 homes for people. And they were able to buy them at very, very low cost. You know, actually, he raised taxes for VI and uh, Ikoi. So VI and Ikoi actually built the Jack on the estates. But that's another thing entirely. And so his name is there. Pol politicians, there are some politicians that have done what is good. But sometimes when they enter into power, like the Caesars, even though some of them did what was good, eventually the kind of power that they consolidated to themselves made them start to believe their own hype. Like, man, look at the way these people are bowing down for me. Look at the way, one, anytime I come in, everybody stands up. Everybody's always, you know, what we say, all right, all right, sir, all right, sir, in Nigeria. You know what all right, sir is? You know what all right, sir? All right, sir is all right, sir. All right, sir. So every time you meet this person, all right, sir, all right, sir, all right, sir. The man starts really believing like, man, if they keep bowing like this to me and I keep standing up, I'm really above these people. And more and more, sycophants surround you. You really start to believe the hype. You start to believe the hype that you are more than a human being. You start to believe the hype that you are a god. Do you know one of the other titles that was given to Augustus? You know when he said Caesar Curious? It wasn't just saying Caesar is lord, like lord and king. It was actually that he had a, de a, a, a deified status. In fact, there was what we called a, the, an imperial cult, a political religion around the Caesars. So much so that Augustus, one of his titles was the son of God. But these politicians and leaders that are thirsty for power, you know, there's something that they don't have. There are certain things they can't do. They are always limited. Look, if you are in a, a well-run democratic society, eventually your power is going to be limited by A, maybe tenure of office, right? You serve two four-year terms, eventually you must go. Your power is limited. Okay, maybe you push a third-term agenda, right? And then that means, after you push a third-term agenda, that means that um, the first two didn't, they didn't count. So 
I need another three to start the whole thing. So maybe I'll be here for five year, five terms. All right, let's say you are there for even 30, 40 years. I think Paul Bia is almost there for 40 years. Eventually, something else is going to catch up with you, like you caught up with Robert Mugabe. You know what it's called? Age. You age. Oh, you now say, no, no, no. Even if I age, even if I'm 90-something, I can be there. Why? Because we don't run a democratic society here. We run an absolute monarchy. Well, if you run an absolute monarchy, eventually, you may be limited by political uprisings. Why do we have the Islamic Republic of of Iran. You know, before they had kings, they called them shahs. They were eventually removed. Or you can go to Russia, where you had the Bolshevik Revolution. They had the Romanovs, the kings, and all the families. The people rose up, and they, they killed all of them. So monarchs can be, they, they always have to fear uh, political uprisings, monarchs and dictators. And then democrat, dem democracies, you are limited by tenure of office. But even if all of those things do not work, there's still one more thing. You know what it is? Death. All political power is limited at least because of death. If you are coming from Rome, if you are coming from Assel Rock, if you are coming from the White House, you may look like you have so much power, but you are still limited by death. Except the Lord from heaven. Because you see, the one who was coming from heaven, his heavenly reign, is, it signifies the fact that he's in heaven and we are here on earth. It signifies that all the limitations of power that plague earthly leaders, are, he's not subject to them, but all of them are subjected to him. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't just ascend as one who was a man like you and I. He ascended as one who resurrected from the dead, meaning he was never going to die again. So when Paul is thinking, or let's talk about Paul's friend, John. John says in 1 John 4, 14, we have, we have seen him and we testify that this Jesus is the savior of the world. He said, look at that guy there calling himself savior of the world. Look at those people in that, in that kingdom calling themselves savior of the world. Why? Because you've been able to build an empire, but you've not been able to banish death. He rose from the dead. That is why he says that not only him, but the kingdom that he has will have no end. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his kingdom shall have what? No end. Why? Because he lives forever. But there's one more thing about that. What about the inhabitants of that kingdom? Imagine with me, imagine a nation. If you wanted to um, imagine a nation in terms of health, what kind of nation would you uh, want? I mean, let's consider where we are now, and let's consider where we would like to be. I think one of, some of the things that we would like is to see that all the hospitals that are available here around will be world-class hospitals. Would you like that? And then maybe if we can't have like, I don't know, 500 world-class hospitals in Lagos, maybe I would like to have around my area a doctor that I can see once I have a small problem. Now, if I have a bigger problem, I should go to some of those central hospitals. Is that, that would be good, isn't it? And how would it be if at the point of delivery, when I go into those hospitals, I don't need HMO insurance, I don't need any money, the care is given to me free. Now we're living in fancy world, isn't it? But it would be nice, wouldn't it be? It would be really nice. 
Now, I don't think that can be done by just a businessman. I think you need political power to achieve that. In other words, when you are setting your budget, the budget of the nation, we have to build this infrastructure. We have to build these hospitals. I think you need to build hospitals, these world-class hospitals, so you have to set that in your budget. You need to employ very good doctors, and you need to pay them well, doctors and nurses, right? And then you also need to fund research, research that deals with uh, cures of diseases, but also prevention, invest in public health. You need to do all of these things. Guess what? There are nations that are already doing it today. Nations that are doing it. For instance, France does it. They have a, a health service, a public health service. The UK, that I'm a little bit more familiar with, the UK has a national health service. It may have one or two of its problems, but it is wonderful. Believe me, I, my first son was born free of charge. Free of charge. Uh, and, uh, because the second son wasn't born free of charge, so the thing is still paining me. <laughs> At the point of delivery, the motto of the NHS service is the National Health Service is free health care for all, 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 all the people that live in the country at the point of delivery. Britain's, the largest chunk of Britain's um, budget goes towards health care, not defense. And it even caused a bit of a crisis for them, a pension crisis, actually. Do you know why it's caused a pension crisis? You see, when the National Health Service was set up, right, I think it was set up more before, after their pension. So when they set the pension and the pension age, let's say they set the pension age at 60, it's because they knew that people would really be dying around 68. So you really have about eight years to draw up your pension, right? Because you will die before 70. Then they now set up the National Health Service. And all this research started happening and all of that. Now people are living till 1995. So now they have a problem with the pension because they've been able to extend the lives of people. It's a wonderful thing. It's a health miracle. They've been able to extend the life of the people. But anytime I visit UK or I visit France, you know what I see there? I see graves and mortuaries. There's still graves and mortuaries. Because no matter how long they've been able to extend the lives of people, they've not been able to banish death. There are still mortuaries that they okay, this person lived to 95, the person still died. And yet Jesus, when he exerts his own power, I'm tempted to do this, but you know, people in this second service don't look like they'll cooperate. Turn to your neighbor and say, power pass power. Uh, no, no, say it. Say it with a little bit of conviction. Power pass power. Notice what he says about Jesus' power. He says he has the power to bring all things under him. This is a political statement. Remember, he's contrasting his kingdom with another kingdom. That kingdom's power is able to do wonderful things. They build roads. They give you health care. They're able to extend your life. But there are still graves that are there. And he says, this Jesus has a power that passes all other powers. How do we know this? When he exercises his political power, what's he able to do? He is able to transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You know what Jesus is saying? That when my kingdom fully comes, he will say to hospitals, you are no longer needed. All doctors are fired. Go and look for another job. He will say to mortuaries, you are a total waste. 
He will say to graves, what are you doing here? Oh, grave, where is your sting? Because in Jesus' kingdom, in contrasted with the other ones, with our earthly bodies, we die and we decay. In Jesus' kingdom, all those who are part of it, he has promised that he will give them a new body that will be incorruptible. That means you will never be able to be sick and it will be immortal. That means you will never be able to die. Have you ever seen the exercise of that kind of political power? If a politician came today and says, um, ah, this guy has promised food for all. This other one has promised light. This one has promised marriage. If you vote for me, you will never die again. You know what they will do? They will either stone him or commit him to a mental home, right? Even devil will say, Oga, even me, so I can't lie like that. But Jesus is saying, if you partake of my kingdom, you will never die. He that lives and believes will never die. Let me ask you, are you part of that kingdom? Because being part of that kingdom, let me tell you, is not by voting. The way you enter that kingdom, our voting or our PVC is by believing in Jesus Christ. Notice he says some are enemies of the cross. You know what Jesus did with his power? Though he had absolute power, he looked at every one of us that chased power in other kinds of places. Those of us that invested our power in politics and said, well, God can, God can do with this one, but this one I have to do by myself. He says that act of rebellion. Even though you deserve punishment, me with absolute power, I will suffer in your place. Which politician can do that for you? And all he says is that for you to enter this kingdom, surrender to me. Surrender to the love that I have expressed. Are you part of that kingdom? And to the Christians among us, I want to ask you this. When you think about your citizenship, you may say, well, I'm a Christian, you know, but most of the way you live your life, really, you are really living more as a citizen of the earth. That is, I don't know, you know some people, let's say you go for a job interview and you notice that the person that is interviewing you, um, uh, normally you don't live as a Christian, no. But the person that is interviewing, you see one sticker on the table. Ah, you just went, you just say, ah, so are you a winner? Uh, I am a winner too. <laughs> or are you a redeemite? I am a, you, you see, your Christianity comes, you try to identify with other Christians when you want it to work for you. Is that the kind of citizen that you are? Because when we think about politics, our entire lives, you have to remember that our polythumor is from Heaven, when you, what is your eager expectation? Is your eager expectation February 16, 2019? Or your eager expectation is that there is a Lord that is coming from heaven who will transform our lowly bodies and make it like unto his glorious body? Where is your citizenship? Now finally, in the last point, which is um, a citizen's freedom, you may be asking, how do we deal with all of this? How do, I decide, how do I decide how to use the two citizenship? Because I'm not just a citizen of heaven, I'm a citizen of earth. I mean, how can I be heavenly minded in a way that isn't indifferent to earthly matters? 
And how can I be concerned about earthly issues in a way that does not set my mind on earthly things? Well, the first thing I would say about that is all of this that I've just laid gives you freedom. What do I mean by that? You see, knowing that you are part of an earthly, heavenly kingdom that's coming, it frees you to partake of your earthly kingdom as a dual citizen. And Paul is an example for us. If I asked you, what was Paul's nationality? What would you say? Paul was Jewish, right? If you don't believe it, just look at the same Philippians 3. Look at verse 4 and verse 5. Paul says, listen, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul was a proud Jew. That was his citizenship. There was one time Paul wanted to go to Rome, but he wanted to pass Jerusalem because the Jerusalem, there was a famine in Jerusalem. The church was starving there. So Paul had gone to this uh, Macedonia, he, the church is there. He had gone to Thessalonica. He had gone to Corinth. He had gathered money, Macedonia and Achaia. He wanted to give to the Jerusalem church. But people didn't like Paul in Jerusalem. And so there was an uprising because he was there. They said he didn't believe certain things. So eventually, Paul got arrested. And when he was arrested, he was handed over to a commander hmm, in the army. And he said, ah, we don't want, we don't want riffraffs around here. So he told the centurion, make sure you flog him. Flog him. Now, when they're about to flog Paul, you know what Paul said in Acts chapter 22, verse 25? Here's what he says. He says, as they stressed him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, are you, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Paul said, Yes, I am. Then the commander said, ah, I have to pay a lot for my citizenship. Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed and when he realized that Paul, a Roman citizen, had been put in chains. Now, the moral of that is that if you want to give birth to your child, you have to do that in America. <laughs> Paul has given you the, you know... Because Paul's parents, basically, you know, they are Jews, but they say, Omar, he needs this. If he needs to study, he needs discount. So they went and now went to give birth to him in Rome. That's essentially what's happening. I am joking. Scratch that off. All right? That's not what he's saying. And that's not why I bring that. But Paul, he gives us, when Paul is saying our citizenship is in heaven, he understands how we are meant to use it. Why? Because even on earth, Paul had dual citizenship. When Paul wanted to brag and the place he wanted to identify with, he spoke about Israel. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. When he was about to be flogged, though, he said, hey, wait, oh, I'm a Roman citizen. In other words, you have to choose which one is your most fundamental citizenship that should regulate you in order to be able to participate in the second one. Your most fundamental one sets the boundaries, and then within those boundaries, you are then free to use the other one. We have to know how to live as exiles, as Paul's friend Peter referred to Christians in 1 Peter 1 to 2. Now, let me give us uh, a few examples of that, and then we'll close um, this. 
So you see, if you are a single earthly citizen, here is one problem you'll face. When you see all the problems around you, when you see all the problems around you, you will be pressured into a messianic striving to save the world. You want to save your people. You want to save everything that is around you. There are some people, I don't know if you follow them on Instagram, sometimes, <clears throat> I don't want to give the name of this person. I went for a, um, a party recently somewhere, a party recently somewhere, and there were some comedians. It was an end-of-the-year party, so it was nice. You know, when you get to the end of the year, you have worked very hard. You just want to end it nicely. So at the end of the year, there, was a there were some comedians there. There were some um, artists there. You know, they got us very happy, good food. Then there was this guy who a lot of us know. He's popular, but now he's running for politics. He said, hey, would you like to say a few words? And the person came, and he started. And he started. All of a sudden, he started quoting the Bible about where he went to politics. He started saying, all of us that are here, we are entered our wonderful houses, but people are dying, people are stop starving. I, I went into, he went into the Bible. I entered politics because, you know, when I saw the Bible of the talents, I was like, gosh, guy, I, I read the Bible for a profession. I don't want to hear about the Bible now. He went off for 20 minutes. My wife and I left. I don't know if you know people like that. That is, you have a savior and messianic complex because you feel you are called to save everyone and everything that is there. You start to say, oh, let's solve all these problems. You start to feel like you are the savior of the world. Do you know why that happens? Because deep down inside you, you only have one citizenship. It's of this world. And if this world is not right, if it's not made right well for me, then I've missed out in life. Some people will say, you know, you only have one shot at life. Well, as a Christian, you must never ever say that. Because there's this life and there's the life to come. As a Christian, you say, look, I am not the savior of the world. I can't save everything that is around me. Thank God there is somebody that already has done that. He is Jesus. And because of that, I can strive from freedom and not for freedom. You are free because you are a citizen of a kingdom that you did nothing to enter in but was given to you by grace, you are free with that grace to serve others in grace. You don't feel like you can solve all the problems, but you feel like you can make a difference. The pressure is released off you. For some others, as an earthly citizen, what happens is they see all the problems that are around them and they say, these problems are too much for me. These problems are too much for any individual. I voted for this person, he disappointed me. I voted for this other one, they disappointed me. You know what? Let's just say it. Nigerians, the black man is cursed. We can never come out of our problems. So you become cynical, you become pessimistic because the problems seem overwhelming. Whereas if you're a dual citizen, you will say, you know what? There are problems here, and there are truly, there are a lot of them, and I thank God that my hopes are not fixed on this, in this world. There is a kingdom I am part of that is to come. And because I'm awaiting that kingdom, you know what I'm going to do? I will use the time I have here to make this kingdom that I'm part of to resemble that other kingdom as much as I can. The pressure is relieved of you because as Christians, we strive from freedom and not for freedom. You know, in closing, I don't know if you've ever thought um, 
when the Europeans historically discovered, no, no, not discovered, sorry, were made aware of what we call the Americas. You know, they didn't, like somebody said, <laughs> Mongo Park did not discover river. <laughs> river, is it River Niger? <laughs> there were people swimming there before he got there. So he didn't discover it. They, when the Europeans um, were made aware of the Americas, you know what they called it? They called it the New World. The New World. In other words, they've been living in a particular world, but now this world that we've, we have been made aware of, now we want this world to be a better version of the world that, is, that we have lived in. So many of them started to migrate. And when they migrated, they started to name the cities and the regions after the ones that they were coming from, but they always put that word new. So if in Britain you had Hampshire there, you now have New Hampshire. If in you had Amsterdam in Holland, you now have New Amsterdam, which was later changed to New York, because York is in England as well. In fact, a whole entire region on the coast of America is called New England. And don't forget, many of them that migrated were Christians. You know why they were using that word new? Because one of the things about Christianity is we are promised newness. Jesus comes, he brings new life. He gives us a new covenant. There, he puts a new song in our mouth. And it says, John says, I'm seeing a new heaven and a new earth. And so many of them thought they discovered the new world. And many times when we think politically about this nation as well, when we think of the nation that we want to look at, many people, including many politicians, are saying, there will be a new Nigeria that will arise. Maybe you are thinking of a new Lagos that will come. And we are praying to God for that to happen. Let me tell you. God has never promised a new Lagos or a new Nigeria. What God did promise is a new Jerusalem. That is a new kingdom which Jesus is king over. But because he has promised a new Jerusalem, we can work together for a renewed Lagos, for a renewed Nigeria. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.